You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. The most important thing a person can ever do is to make sure that they are in righteous standing with God. That is the most important thing in your life. Everything else pales compared to that. Making sure that you are right with God. Not your spouse, not your family, you. Make sure you are right with God. That's what's important. You have a right standing before God, and it speaks of the presence of good, not the absence of evil. This is the practice of what is good. Sometimes it's easy to get distracted from your salvation by believing that you can earn it for yourself, but that's not the case, is it? Today, Pastor Dave reminds us that we simply can't reach the standard God requires, but that we can still be with Him through Jesus Christ, who reached the standard for us. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John chapter 3 as he continues his message children of God. Going back to verse 4, the word commit in Greek is plasso. It means to practice continually. It means living a lifestyle of sin. It means practicing sin. And according to the tense of the verb John uses here in verse 6, when he says, does not sin, that also means to not live a lifestyle of habitual sin. The grammar in 1 John 1.8 indicates John is speaking about an occasional act of sin, where the grammar here in 1 John 3.6 indicates that John is speaking of a settled, a continual lifestyle of sin. John is not teaching nor did he believe in the possibility of sinless perfection. Make that clear. But he does make it clear that there is a distinction between committing a sin and continuing in sin by the choice of his words. That's why it's so important when you study the Bible, you got to get down to the root meaning of the words. Because if you take verse 6 as it says, you're looking for some train or something to jump in front of because, wait a minute, I sinned. I must not be saved. I'm going to jump in front of this bus because that's how you feel. John is speaking about those people who continually practice sin. You live what you practice. When you continually practice sin, you are not abiding in Jesus Christ. Your life is in rebellion to God. And that's what John's saying. Now, are those, are there those occasions in your life where you might sin? Yes. But it should only be for a short period of time. And when you become aware of it, when the child of God becomes aware that he or she has sinned, they immediately confess and repent. They immediately confess and repent. They turn from their sin and they go back to God and they start abiding in Christ all over again. Hence, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what's being said here. On the other hand, those who do not repent, 
Those who do not repent, they're practicing sin. It has become their lifestyle. It has become their lifestyle. And John is telling them, repent now. Repent. But John has good news. Yay, good news. He says, if you practice righteousness, you'll be righteous just like Jesus. Look at verse 7. Little children. You got to love it when he calls us little children, you know? You got to love it. I took the pacifier out of my mouth when I read this. So it's just, you know, it was really good. Little children, pacifier. Little crickets there on that one, Mark, man. I tell you, well, that one just kind of went out. That one, oh, well. That one died. Oh, well. Somebody told me this morning to lighten up. So I did. I just tried to lighten up. What can I say? Come on. Anyhow, he says, little children. I love it. Let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he, Jesus, is righteous. Let no one deceive you. John is giving us a stern warning. He's giving us a stern warning. He is concerned about what his readers have been hearing. He is concerned about what they have applied in their lives. How are they living? Are they practicing righteousness or are they living in rebellion to God? And this was John's concern as it would be any pastor's concern about the flock. How's the flock doing? What's happening in your lives? You know, sometimes I read some of your Facebook posts and I have to scratch my head and I get concerned as a pastor. What's going on? What happens here becomes a choice. It becomes a choice, righteousness or lawlessness. Your actions will reflect whether you are a child of God or a child of the devil. Are you following hard after Jesus Christ? He is the only righteous one. He is the example for our lives. But you're going to say to me, but it's just practice. It's practice. It's not real life. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. The consequences are too great here. Don't be fooled into a false sense of security. The most important thing a person can ever do is to make sure that they are in righteous standing with God. That is the most important thing in your life. Everything else pales compared to that. Making sure that you are right with God. Not your spouse, not your family, you. Make sure you are right with God. That's what's important. You have a right standing before God, and it speaks of the presence of good, not the absence of evil. This is the practice of what is good. Let me be clear about what's not being said. John is not saying that we are made righteous before God by our own righteous acts. That's not being said here. The Bible clearly teaches, Calvary Chapel clearly teaches that you are made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ alone. You've been saved by grace through faith. But John is saying that that righteousness should be evident in your life. That should be evident in your life. Do you practice righteousness? Just practice. Apparently, there were those who taught that you could be righteous before God without any evidence of righteousness in your life. John says, no, he's rebuking this. No. Sadly, there are too many today who are deceived on this very issue. There are too many today who are trusting in a false hope. Those who are trusting in their own works rather than the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Those who are trusting in a church to save them. You can come to church 24-7. It'll never make you a Christian. Just coming to church. You can sit in your garage all day long and you'll never become a car. You've heard that before. 
There are those who are trusting in their own works rather than the finished work of Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. They're trusting in the church to save them, trusting in infant baptism to save them. You know, right after the Lord said, not all who say, Lord, Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he does, does the will of my father. He then spoke to them about who will come in that day seeking him, wanting to entry into the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to come and declare all the great things they did for them? Lord, I did this for you. Lord, I did that for you. I did this and I did that. You know what he says to them? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Ouch. Have you put your hope for the entry into heaven in Jesus Christ and him alone? Or are you still basing it on your good works? And that's scary to me. You're going to get to heaven only and solely by faith in Jesus Christ, by faith in what he did on the cross. That is it. No other way. I'm trusting in his righteousness, which has been imputed to me as a result of my faith in Jesus Christ. The faith which Jesus manifested in the works that I do obedience to my life for him. I want to be obedient to him by trusting in him. Look what he says in verses 8 and 9. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's been born of God. John gave us one reason why Jesus came to earth in John 1 John 3, 5, so that he could manifest to take away our sins. Now he gives us another reason why he came, to destroy the works of the devil. Can you imagine, if you will, just how much God's heart grieves for this world. Just how much God's heart grieves for his creation. When he sees what's happening in this world, has his, his heart is, is just swallowed up and looks out and he, he's grieved. What we've allowed Satan to do. What we've agreed with Satan to do. What we've given Satan permission to do, Jesus came to put a stop by all that, by overcoming him completely by his life, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. Note the purpose of Jesus to destroy the works of the devil, not to neutralize them, not to alleviate them, not to limit them. He wants to destroy them, get rid of them. Think about what Satan has done. He has led the world in rebellion against Jesus, against God. Started with Adam and Eve in the garden when they rebelled against God's word. It's happening right now in our United States as the United States rebels against who they are. Take those Ten Commandments out of classrooms. Take prayer out of classrooms. There's a separation between church and state. No, you need to read the Constitution. It really isn't a separation between church and state. It's called an establishment clause. The government shall not establish a religion. Nothing to do with separation of church and state. But Satan knew that, and he's deceptive, and he's deceiving. There's so many arguments today, and you look at these arguments, and they seem kind of rational, but they're, but they're all against God's commandments. People say seem to make God's commandments irrelevant to our society. Oh, that was great back then, but this we're different now. Boy, you can say that again. You know, the prophet Hosea warned against sowing the wind. The prophet Hosea warned against sowing the wind. He said, if you sow to the wind, you're going to reap a whirlwind. Look at what's happening today in the world, folks. If you don't see a whirlwind, you need to look again because there's some crazy things happening. These are the works of the devil. These are the works of Satan. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and being manifested to destroy the works of the devil. 
You might ask, how did he do that? Well, in Colossians, Paul tells us that Jesus spoiled the principalities and powers that were against us as he triumphed over them in an open display of victory on the cross. Triumphed over that and given us victory. And in our lives, he destroys the work of the devil by delivering us from the power of the devil and giving us a new nature. He who has the new nature of Jesus Christ does not continually sin. We have been set free. And if the Son sets you free, yes, live that. Live that. Live that freedom. He says, whoever is born of God does not sin. Yo, John boy, we just went through that. But his seed remains in you. The change from being of the devil to the children of God comes when we're born of God. We talked about this last week. We talked about this the last couple times. We become a child of God when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. He adopts us into the kingdom. Look at Ephesians 1, 2, 3. Look at John 1, 12. And all the scriptures that proclaim you're a child of God by your faith in Jesus Christ. You've been adopted into the family. When this happens, the old nature goes away. The rebellion is supposed to die. But the new nature is supposed to live in obedience to Christ. John is just simply emphasizing the fact of being born again. Remember, it was John who penned the words of Jesus. You must be born again. And when that happens, there's a change that takes place in your life. There's a change and it needs to be observable. The Apostle Paul preaches the exact same message in Ephesians. But he says, put off the former conduct of the old man. And put on the new man in Christ. Put on the new person you are in Jesus Christ. This is what's being said here. When John says, does not sin or he cannot sin, instead of scratching your head, remember the verbiage. He's talking about continual practice, habitual sin. John tells it that when we're born again, born into the family of God, there has to be a real change from what was. And it has to be a change in our relationship to sin. Now we can see it of what it is. But again, he's not saying that you won't fall sometimes. You won't slip and scrape your nose once in a while. But he already told us that we had an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And when that happens, we run to the Father, we run back to Christ and say, forgive me, I've sinned. And then when you say that, God looks at and goes, what sin? But the fact that you've recognized it and have come back. John finishes his thought here in verse 10. He says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. He said, this is how the children of God and the children of the devil can be distinguished. You can distinguish one from the other. And the world can see that. He's saying, this is how they are manifested. Remember, to be manifested means to show, to, to show self. So the question here is, what are you practicing? What is it you are practicing? How are you living? If you're practicing righteousness, you are manifesting to the world that you're a child of God. However, if you're practicing sin and you're continually living in sin, then you are manifesting to the world that you're a child of the devil. I'm sorry, I didn't say it. John said it. Don't kill the messenger. John said it. This is strong language and should serve as a warning to all of us, especially anyone who might be living in sin while we still claim to be saved. Notice how John places the validity on a person's profession of what they're doing. He does that. If he does that, righteous is righteous. Righteousness, he says. If that living in sin does not know Jesus, he said. What? Why? Well, 
Paul, when writing to Timothy, his beloved son, said in 1 Timothy 4.2 that they had, their conscience was seared. They had sinned so much that their conscience was seared. It wasn't even sin to them anymore. It was their lifestyle. That's what practice does for you. If I practice bad habits continually, it'll just be normal because I'm so used to it. In fact, if I practice putting stuff into my body that my body starts to reject, eventually my body will stop rejecting it and my body will want it. Practice. Too many people are trusting in what they profess. And John says, you know, hey, there's so many false professions out there. And he named them. You profess to have fellowship with God and you're walking in darkness. Well, you're a liar. You profess that you don't have sin. You deceive yourselves. You profess that we don't sin. Well, you're making God a liar. We profess that we know him. Are you keeping his commandments? Well, well, then you don't know him. We profess to love God, but we hate our brother. Well, you're a liar. I'm sorry, but that's what it says. It seems harsh. But don't you see, John is giving us a warning. He's giving us a warning. You live what you practice. And perfect practice makes perfect. If I'm practicing perfection, not that I will ever be perfect until I reach heaven, until I see him face to face. I'm not doing it because I want to be saved. I'm doing it because I am saved. Not doing it for salvation. My salvation was taken care of on the cross. And when I believed in him on the cross that I became saved, born again, a child of God. Now, some of you might be struggling with what was said today. And I, you know, I have no apologies because it's the word of God. But let me, let me tell you this, that there is a light shining in the midst of the darkness. There's a light shining in the midst of your life, in the darkness of your life, and in the darkest, darkest, darkest time of your life, that light will shine brighter and brighter and brighter and will continue to draw you to that light. And the light that shines in the midst of the darkness is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And when you see that light and when you notice that light, I can guarantee you're going to see a Savior there with arms out for you to come to him. Return into your first works and believe is it any coincidence that this morning, as I sat at my dining room table, I read Psalm 107. And in Psalm 107, the psalmist writes these words, and I even I added them to the message. He writes these words. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 9. The psalmist says, He's talking about the goodness of God. He's talking about giving thanks to the Lord for his mercy endures forever. He's talking about this. And the psalmist is just reveling in the fact that he's been redeemed by the Lord. And, and, and he, the Lord redeemed him out of the enemy's hands. And, and he's just having a wonderful, wonderful time in the Lord. And he says this about the Lord in verse 9. He says, for he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And listen to this, those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. And what did they do? They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death. He broke the chains in pieces. This is what the Christian does when they realize they have sinned. You look up to the light and you say, Lord, help me. 
Help me in the midst of my sin. I recognize it is sin, and I have sinned against you, and you alone, O oh Lord. And I confess it to you, and I want to repent of it. And repent simply means turning the other way. Not going after sin and practicing sin, but going after Jesus Christ and practicing righteousness. That's what it means. That's what the word repent means that everybody's so afraid of. We have such an advocate with the Father. We have such an advocate. And you might be in rebellion today. Maybe you have been in rebellion in the past. And God knows that about you. He knows that about you. But he loves you with an everlasting love. And he loved you so much that he would not spare his only begotten son, but send him to die on a cruel Roman cross for you alone. Even in the midst of your rebellion, he demonstrated that love to you because Jesus went to a cross long before you, long before your sin. And when you're struggling in that rebellion, when you get in that rebellious attitude, remember Jesus Christ died for you. Remember, he was no sin and took your sin upon him and died for you. Remember that he came to destroy the works of Satan as Satan buffeted you from time and time, trying to get you on his side. Well, if you're a child of God, you've chosen sides. You're a winner. You're an overcomer in Jesus Christ. When you're walking away from the Lord, he follows you with his open arms. And his heart is grieving because you're walking away. And you can never, ever stray too far that you can't come back. You can never stray too far that you can't come back. Not if you've been born again. There's only one unforgivable sin, that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The unforgivable sin is not accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Lord desperately wants to know you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to bring you back into right standing with him because that's what he made us for. That's why he created us, so that we could have fellowship with him. And he wants nothing more than you come back. Nothing more than to hold you in his arms and tell you how much he loves you and watch you grow in that grace and knowledge of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. If you're struggling today with any sin, jettison it, lay it aside, Get rid of it. Lay it at the foot of a cross because it's already been paid for right there. It's already been paid for, done, gone. Do it today. Don't struggle any longer. If you've had a habit and you've been habitually sinning, stop today and turn. Come back and repent. God is calling you. God is wanting you. He's standing there with open arms. Your father is waiting for you to return, son, daughter. He's waiting for you on the porch, looking for you, crying for you, weeping for you. Oh, come back, come back, come back to me. Please do that today. Settle it in your heart. Just asking to forgive you, asking to help you to grow and remember. And the scripture says he remembers their sin no more. Our time with you has come to an end today on A Sure Hope. But in our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue teaching through the book of 1 John. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. 
If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Feel free to give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for directions and more information. Perhaps you prefer email. If so, go ahead and email us with any questions at info at capewatchradio.com. You might be interested in knowing that for those who aren't able to come in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just look for a link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 1 John. We look forward to the next time as Pastor Dave will share more things that God has put on his heart from this New Testament letter. But until then, we encourage you to read through the Bible on your own and be reminded of God and that He is a sure hope.